Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. The journey is all about making us better houndsmen, our hounds better, and the people around us better. That's why we are dedicated to finding some of the top experts in the dog world. Well, Bart Rogers is one of those people. Working as a chief canine instructor at Auburn University, Bart's over the canine performance program. Um, He is over an array of things for the university, including the breeding program. That's why when I got the opportunity to sit down and talk to Bart one-on-one, I couldn't pass it up. I want to apologize for, there's a spot about 10 to 15 minutes into the podcast where we had a storm roll through, and it made my cell service pretty shoddy. So um, for a minute or two there, it's going to be um, some grainy uh, audio, so I apologize for that. So guys, if you want to sustain, stabilize, or build a better breeding program, you need to grab a paper and some pencil and won't you take this journey with us because BART is going to give us some information that will help us accomplish all the things that we just discussed. So sit back and join us on the journey. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams. And I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. Today on the journey, you guys are in for a treat. We have a very, very 
special guest with us. I've been in, in canine for 18 years. And when I started going to the seminars and stuff and learning more and more, uh, this program that we're going to talk to you about really uh, piqued my interest. Uh, I've been very interested in it. And you guys are going to be ecstatic with the stuff that you're going to learn today. So today we're going to travel out of Virginia. We're going to hit 81 South and travel south into Tennessee on 40. And we're going to take a dip down into Alabama. We're going to Auburn University. And we're going to have with us today the chief canine instructor for the university over their canine performance sciences program. And today's guest is going to be Bart Rogers. Bart, how is things in Alabama today? Well, it's not as hot as they have been, but um, pretty good. Um, yeah. I think we're getting some of your heat up here. Last two days, it was <laughs> scorching yesterday. It was in high 80s. Today, it was 88. And, of course, I know y'all's humidity is probably worse than ours, but it has yeah, been difficult. It's been, a, I think they have a heat index of 102 to 104 the last last week, and this week's finally cooled off, so we're actually be able to work some dogs. Yeah, no, thank you. I, you can have your you can have your weather. <laughs> I like. I'll be ready for September and those cool fall evenings mornings to roll yeah. around for me. Yeah. So Bart, um, like I said, I can't even talk about all your accolades and what you do. So can you give the listeners just a, a rundown? If you want to tell us what you do, kind of what you're over, and then kind of give us a background on, um, you know, on your on your dog life, basically, where you started, where you come from, mm -hmm. what that meant. Yeah, so um, I've been at the university now, I think, about 13 years, um, and just basically at the right place at the right time, got, you know, part-time job going to school, and uh, I was either working at a restaurant bar or, you know, some guy at the vet school was veterinary sports medicine you run greyhounds and train bird dogs for minimum wage and i thought that was a better idea <laughs> so so i i did that and um just like i said snowballed into um now ending up uh, being chief canine instructor for auburn university canine performance sciences program for the um, breeding and development research side of um, our program so basically um I've trained dogs uh, primarily um, for foundationally prepared dogs. So I prepare them to um, go to the field to work. Um, and I oversee the development of them from the time they're born, from what, in the nursery, early development, what we call them, and their ear, intermediate development, and then which goes up to six months. And then we send them to prison and inmates work with them where they actually get a associate's degree in canine performance care and development. Um, and oversee that until, you know, they come back and we slot dogs for research, which means they do odor research. Um, if they say wash for slight environmental reasons, or they um, go into the field to work and also help develop, implement, and uh, employ the uh, evaluations of these dogs at every time point and um, assist in, um, in making breeding selections based on interpreting that, uh, that data. But mainly we're geared to what I do is person-born IED, which is the patented vaporweight dog, that mm -hmm. first patented dog that Auburn developed. And um, a little bit different than what you hear, passenger screen, things like that. And um, our breeding program, historically, you know, averages 80% success rate. So 80% of the dogs we produce, which is 60 to 80 dogs a year, we're not into filling everyone's need. This breeding program is to learn and to innovate um, and help 
uh, you know, small, small, even I'm involved in a, a breeding initiative, a, a consortium with small breeders and, you know, quality, not quantity and help incentivize them and teach them how to be successful produced dogs for national security. Since we have a huge domestic shortage, which I'm mm. pretty sure you, you, you understand that. Yes. And, um, um, so Basically, I oversee training development of do- dogs from the time they're born to they're sold in the field and genetics and evaluation and breeding um, with that. So, but I so also just to add that so mm-hmm. I also train dogs conservation, train help assist train and handle the first dogs detect viruses. So in my job, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I get to do a lot of things <laughs> and a lot of novel odor detection research projects. Yeah, just so just to make sure so the listeners understand. Um, so mm-hmm. basically, you're doing explosive detection work with the dogs Primarily, that you're yes. that, yeah you're raising and sixty mm-hmm. to eighty dogs. So you're looking at you know what six to ten litters a year. I think we average you know seven point something, but yeah, mm-hmm. six to eight litters a year. Yeah. Okay. So nice. And what your mm-hmm. and I know you and I talked, but what is your you know, what was your draw to dogs? What was your, you know, did you have them in your childhood? You know, did you? Yeah. So I'm unbeknownst to me. Uh, uh, it was, I grew up with dogs and I thought it was a normal childhood. Didn't realize that it's different when you talk to most people. So hmm. uh, earliest memory of dogs is um, puppies was breeding red bombs and had a litter of red bombs. We had a red bomb female named Liz and uh, my granddad always had red bombs and he didn't have red bombs, coon dogs. He had um, tree and walkers and, um, you know, border collies, if they weren't the hound dogs, you were going to check cows or walk chickens in the chicken house and the border collie went with you. Um, to, uh, I had um, breeding spaniels that we bird hunted with and um, experienced with some English pointers. And, uh, I mean, from I had a bloodhound. I, I, you know, just list goes on. So thought that was normal. And like I said, at the right place at the right time and took the job and, um, didn't know to me until uh, uh, Delmar Smith's son, Rick Smith. Well, I was working with him, consulting with him, uh, helping out with getting involved with breeding some protection dogs. And he pretty much like told me, like, nah, you have a unique background. And I, that was only about two years ago that that, that moment happened where he was like, you're where you need to be. <laughs> you didn't just learn that here. Yeah. So um, that's why this intrigued me when you asked me my background with pound dogs. And it was, you know, as – as I go on, I try different breeds. I love, you know, I'm not just a lab guy. I love my Dutch Drawdires. I my favorite dogs are Spaniels. I, I love my English Cockers and English Springers. And, you know, um, I'm just up for trying new things and learning more about them. And hounds, a few of my backgrounds always interest me. So when you asked me about this, I was like, heck yeah. This is, this, you know, I'm probably getting more out of this than you guys are. <laughs> the Spaniels, people don't realize they're working fools, aren't they? Oh, well, if, well, let's just get this out there. The American Cocker is not a, an English Springer or American Springer. That is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if, when you get your hands on an English Springer and English Cocker, which 100-something years ago is the same breed, just people wanted larger ones for more of the upland birds and open fields versus Cockers that could they hunted woodcock in tight cover, um, same breed. And they are working maniacs. And... Um, yeah, that's the first time I got my hands on one was from Europe. And all these things we have to train some of these dogs to do and things, it was just there, like, instantly. Like, mm. this, anybody can do this. Natural ability. They are working machines. So let's go. We talk about natural ability. Let's go back to your hounds real quick because you and I kind mm-hmm. of touched on it. So 
unique what was unique back then about your hounds that you know that you're seeing now that um it's not so it's much the same a, it's kind of a progression of everything is you know when i started my career is everything was in dog training especially this and you got into so everything was fancy you had to have all these like high-end techniques and gadgets and know all this and you know and i was like you know and then you kind of step back and it's like and those Britneys I had, or those hound dogs, I don't remember doing any, all this fancy stuff to get them to do to to point birds or to to tree a raccoon. Like you know, they just had experience. If there was an old dog, they ran with it. If not, you just put them in areas where they eventually got it. You got it right. Like that's what that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, there wasn't any training. And I kind of as I evolved in my training now, I. I believe the more fancy equipment and more fancy techniques, the further you're getting away from real dogs and real training, the more it's simple and the more it's about the quality of dog and its capabilities and the right scenarios, you know, that's, that's where it's at. And that's what I, you know, I thank God I had that background growing up in Northeast Alabama was not knowing it till now is just that, yeah, we didn't train dogs. And a friend of mine is Craig Koshett wrote some mm-hmm. of the book on the Oakland breeds. And he talks about a story where um, the Spanish with their Spaniels and went and they were encountered the Europeans, the Germans, and they were training their dogs. And they just thought, how odd was it that these guys have to train their dogs? They just, you know, they, they select the dogs every time that do better job than what they wanted done before. They just didn't know why they had to train their dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's my experience. When you get, when you select dogs that are, have the right traits, it's very minimal work. If you know what you need for the job. It's just providing opportunity. Yeah, the scenario to learn what needs to learn. Yep, and that's why Mm -hmm. we have you on here. So (laughs) let's dive into it. So let's start with the your your breeding program. Um, One thing that that I want to touch on during our conversation is your selection process about what how you select dogs to breed, what draws Mm -hmm. you to those certain dogs. so let's talk about your breeding program and, um, yeah, let's just get right in and talk about your selection. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about line breeding and outcrossing. So okay. I'll, I'll let you take it uh, from there. So I'll just give you my experience here. And um, by no means I'm a theriogenologist and, you know, I'm not confirmation breeder and all of this. And I know what pedigrees for labs for work. For especially detection work, but I'm not going to sit here and rattle off names and, you know, full names of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, my experience with this and, and what we've learned is what I've learned is and how we evolved at Auburn was we made progress real quick by putting really, we got our genetics donated to us basically from Australian customs, which would be British labs. Um, and um, we got them back here and they were good. And this was right after 9-11, you know. Yep, that's when a boom come, yep. Very little dog work, anything, no detection dogs basically yet. And now we have person born IED issues. We have all this and like dogs are still it. That's the only thing that can compare to people um, tool to find this detection uh, capability. So, but no one had the dogs. No, I mean, a lab, the labs in this country, they, you know, there was a few duck dogs. It wasn't like now every 12 year old, 13 year old boy has a direct control, controlled Labrador retriever that didn't exist then. And there, you know, it wasn't a huge world. So 
they don't have the genetics, but they're a little too soft when you say, and I'm not saying to pressure correction, just resilient to stress. When it got hard, they could back off. Mm-hmm. So we took some of the American field line and crossed it in and um, gave it some backbone. Um, and then we had to figure out how to keep it together. It wasn't just getting it on the ground in this quality thing. We put some jet fuel on it with the American hunt, hunt test field trial line is we had to develop to it was what we wanted. It wasn't a basket case at the end, but wasn't a pet, you know? Mm-hmm. So we started out playing around and we, we get fostered them out and we had about a 90% washout rate. And looking back now at what we know, we should have kept those few that were vaporweight dog quality or high-end quality dogs at the end. And that should have been what we bred. But instead, um, we swapped and we said, let's put them in prisons. We had a 90% success rate. So we structured once we got some backbone in these dogs. And that persisted people doing repeat breedings. Oh, this dog, this dog throws good dogs. And But there was no thought of it was just this dog has this pedigree and he's good. And this dog throws good dogs. Let's put them together. But uh, as threats change, as you know, it wasn't, you know, constantly the threat changes. And it's not just you need to adapt with it and what these dogs need to be capable of doing and what, you know, just just move things around a little bit. How to have a better understanding because five years ago, the procurement test for a Labrador retriever was, okay, they're not really scared that bad of anything. They got good reward value. They'll hunt. I want it. Now they have to be have no self-preservation to the point that if you leave them outside for 10 minutes, they probably killed themselves because they, what people should say in evaluation is fear is actually keeping them alive. But we bred that out of them because they have to be in Times Square and New Year's Eve. And so we constantly had to make these selections. And the only thing was, is not just be good and produce some dogs is how do you get, 80% or strive to get 100%. How do you get six out of eight, seven? And how do you gap that to get seven or eight out? Get these 100% litters and not 100% litters that'll sell, 100% that are the same. Consistency. You know, this dog's got a, yeah, this dog's got a good on and off switch. He's clear headed. He's stable with all the drive in the world with no anxiety or unproductive arousal. You know, he's transitioned to handlers. Green handlers can handle him. It doesn't take an expert. He's not too much dog. They can do everything but forgiving. How do you get that and how do you get it consistently? Because that was the game. Once you know it's possible, which we did, now how do you replicate it time and time again and make genetic progress? So, you know, that's kind of, I may be getting a little further No, teach ahead. us, teach us. Um, so, well, this is just a thought process. This is not a how. This is the thought process where we went. And, you know, it was more of looking into not just that dog. It's that dog, it's litter mates, it's sire and it's dam. And, you know, you deem a litter and then select the breeder. And then um, if it's just a one-off dog, so say you've got eight in a litter and five of them are good. And then you've got one complete washout and then you've got one phenomenal dog. I would go, uh, or... You know, we need to question this. Let's really look at this. I wonder if you've got, say, you know, one dog that's phenomenal, best dog you've ever seen, but he has seven litter mates that are complete washes. I would never breed that dog. But that was happening before this point that we looked at this. 
it was just this dog's great. No, nothing around it other than that pedigree is great. But what what was litter mix? Because I've experienced dogs that are great, but they do not grow the genetics of what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the secretariat thing, which yeah. is not a true story. But like the references, secretariat did this, but he never threw anything like him. Well, that dog, those one-off dogs are probably development. Nature versus nurture, like that. Mm-hmm. You know, people may have given them exactly what they needed and the luck of having it at the exact right time that made this amazing dog, but it will not repeat. If you breed that dog and you don't have the right kennels, the same production model and kennels and seasonality, the region and temperature and things like that, can have a major effect on it. So what we want to breed dogs is that they're resilient and they're consistent. And, you know, I'll stop there and let you ask more questions exactly which way you want this to go of how how we got that consistency. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, I'm sitting here in my mind trying to log them. So I want to back up just for a second and mm-hmm. make sure that that we understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. which I think most people do. So if you have a litter of seven puppies mm-hmm. and you have five of the seven that are that that perform and do what you're asking mm-hmm. them to do and you have two mm-hmm. maybe you have two oddballs or whatever, mm-hmm. then that is a litter that you would pick a breeder from. Yeah, say I had seven, I have one complete washout, don't know what went wrong, five, they're pretty good. And then one phenomenal, I'd be like, and depending where you start, you know, if you're advanced in your breeding program and you're just, you know, you're making tweaks, but if you're really getting started and making progress, you know, pick pick what you want. What's progress? Five good dogs and one phenomenal dog and one wash, that's progress. That tells me that I'm hedging my bets on what I see in that best dog or genetics and not develop. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my experience of development, it's like four or 500 puppies now or somewhere close to that. How our breeding program is, you don't get five out of eight to look the same. They're one phenomenon just based on the luck of development. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't typically work that way. Um, so you're hedging your, what you're trying to do is be structured enough and objective enough in the way that you look at it is that am I picking the genetics or I picking a random look may not be that one off dog, but if I'm going to casino, let's play blackjack, you know, let's not play roulette here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, let's, you know, there, we can, we can make some calculated, um, decisions here. If that many are that way, I will have to bet that a lot of this are genetics and genetics that interact with my training protocol, my kennels and my production. Um, so, we want that get that that's progress. Now, if you're pairing those dogs with something, what do you pair it with? Do I take this high end male that is a Ferrari and say I'm gonna go find a female that's a Ferrari that came from the same composition, good litter, breeding quality, consistent litter, and pick pick that and I take the Ferrari and I pair it with the Ferrari. Now are these yes. are these are these line bred or are these outcrossed? Good question. So first, I would just say without the line bread and outcross is putting two things that are high end or the same exact dog without pedigree, just same characteristics high end uh-huh. that you're you're all you're going to push the and we did it and in, in first year you're going to think that wow I'm making progress and all of a sudden you're going to take the dog push the gas pedal to somewhere that it's not productive not great you'll have You'll have you'll have sports cars and nobody knows how to drive. And if you take them out you, to drive and work, you got to put them in the shop for a little while. And nobody else 
has the expertise to handle them. Um, so what we did is say complimentary. Mm-hmm. What does this dog bring to the table with its consistently litter and traits that are not deficiencies, but um, attributes? Like what, what is its positive traits, phenotypic traits? You know, is it its reward value? Is it air sending? Um, but this dog may have a little higher arousal. As he works and gets rewarded, he kind of gets amped up, amped up, but he doesn't ever calm back down. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're able to regulate their body temperature and handle the, the heat and, and environmental factors environmentally sound but then this dog over here may be not have the anxiety that we mentioned a little is is calm cool collected maybe a little less reward value and this female say that was the male we're talking about this jet fuel over here but comes with some unproductive arousal you know slight anxiety and things like that this female has none of that but she may lack the reward value but this dog's over the top for his reward value and possession for the ball but I would put them together and compliment. I wouldn't exacerbate these traits to the mm-hmm. point that yes, we can't handle them. Right? Crazy. Yep. Yeah, they're crazy mm-hmm. animals. So it's always an offset. Well, you're making progress, but you're not going into territory nobody wants where you've created this just off-the-wall monster. And also, I'm putting more of the emphasis on the female for some of the later back traits because she's got to be able to deal with puppies in a nursery that are looking at her. And if she's stressed out because she's not working, what does that mean for them? She may have been great because her mother was different from her handling, but breeding with a male we did, she, the female, she's too high. Now you breed them and she's anxious all the time wanting to work and not to take care of these puppies. But now they're anxious and that manifests itself as environmental and soundness. Mm-hmm. Now they're yeah. all scared. Even though she wasn't, they weren't. So it's like, what the heck? These things happen. You're like, what the heck's going on? So you've got to pick things for traits and offset. It's not you pick the identical thing. These are Ferraris. These are high-end things and put them together. What do you want out of the female? What do you want the male? How did you pick your female and male based on the litter? And did you do, you know, what traits, what do they have in them? And then we'll get to your, your question is, and why are they there? If they're genetic, we know they're genetic. What genetic traits created that behavior? Because in some lines, Say you're saying line breeding, right? Inbreeding coefficient's higher, right? Yep. Some yep. people say inbred. Line breeding is not inbred. No, nope, correct. Um, yeah, let's yeah, let's establish and, that. Yeah. Outcross yeah. would be no kin in the in the pedigree. Mm-hmm. No relation. Um, yep. Line breeding would be um, there is there is family members somewhere in the in the three to five mm-hmm. generation, and then mm-hmm. uh, line breeding would be um, basically. Incest, brother, sister, dad, daughter, yeah. mom, son, so on and so forth. So yeah. that would be our three crosses, correct? Yeah, exactly. And in, in blind breeding, there's no risk of the medical defect, anything like that when it comes to inbreeding. It's perfectly safe. It's fine. I mean, you're, you're from the South. I'm from the South. Uh, you know, past third cousin, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. But uh, no, it, it, but seriously, what happens is, is that. Even within a breed, say you're outcrossing, even within a breed, you can have lines of dogs. So a Labrador Retriever from South Georgia versus a Labrador Retriever from Minnesota. They're both Labrador Retrievers. But pedigree-wise, genetic-wise, they're completely different dogs. And they may exhibit the same behaviors you say you like, but the genetic code, genetic, I'm not a geneticist, the genetics that make those behaviors expressed that we see are completely different that make them up complete combination of genetics that make that come about. So when you put, if you take these outcrosses, 
you may capture one or two dogs that has this balance of things you need, but they won't be the whole litter. Mm-hmm. So if you increase that inbreeding coefficient, so say you take a female that you want complementary with this Ferrari male to offset and create nice litter and your inbreeding coefficient is elevated and um, because they're related, then the consistency of what you get and that mixture of what you want, we always talk about you don't get 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. You don't put them together and get 50-50, but you can get closer to getting 50-50 with that. And the outcrossing would be when I'm trying to capture a trait I want. I want to say I'm kind of getting bottlenecked in my genetics. Say you only have four or five breeders, six breeding individuals. You got to be real careful that you don't get to the point you're inbreeding, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to outcross. So when you outcross, you outcross and be calculated. What is an outcross that has a trait that I want that I really want to capture? Yep. Then you outcross, you grab that trait. I did it. Hey, this is labs at Auburn. I got something like 18116 Dutch, Viren Dutch draw out. Um, probably not very Dutch drawed hour because we were able to purchase him out of Serbia. So he's probably, I think we figured out he's one centimeter too tall to be bred. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted heavy air and project. So we crossed him in, but we crossed him back and we crossed him back to the lab. We made sure or tried now knowing we do, we do it a little bit different and, and increase that inbreeding coefficient. We capture what we want and then make sure that what we want is now consistently and through the litter and they're consistent. Instead of the highly variable, when you go highly variable, capture what you want, but be calculating what you want when you outcross and adding to your genetic diversity. So that's a cross where I really need to do my research and look at, look at, be open-minded and look at different dogs to decide what's mm-hmm. going to bring the, the most value to my breeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it? What trait? And, and you know, this is what we need to talk about. And this is like, what are you looking for? And like you go, what trade I am I improving? And, and try to come up with terms. Like, what is it? So like for my dogs, I'm, I'm looking at performance side, which is all the hunt and reward and all that. And then I'm looking at environmental stability, right? And then there's a medical side of it. Someone else handles that. You know, that's the one that I always have to argue because all the dogs that I want end up having a little medical thing. And it's a baby with a bathwater argument all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and but medical's important. And um, I'm, you know, when I'm looking for the performance, I'm looking for hunt. How do they efficiently and innately investigate their environment? And that is separated from odor. If there's no odor involved, are they actively out, naturally driven to hunt, investigate their environment? Air sending, when they hit odor, how efficiently can they work odor to source and utilize the air in the odor and interpret it? And efficiently, I'm looking at arousal. Um, when working, do the, when they hit odor, do they speed up? And their mouth goes open or they slow down and close and efficient. Um, I'm looking for, like I said, reward value, their possession um, for the ball so I can manipulate them to find odors that mean nothing to a dog or especially a Labrador retriever. Um, and then I'm looking for things of task engagement, handler engagement. Are they, you know, if I, the dog's low in task engagement, when I remove the ball from his mouth, is I, I have to beg him to go back to work or do I remove it? Does he automatically go back to work? And if, I have low task engagement and high handler engagement, then that means that I have a handler cue dog. He can't do anything but stare at me, and I have to beg him to do something. If I have a high task engagement and high handler engagement, then I'm saying, hey, I've got the unicorn here. He'll do anything I want him to do in detail, and I can cast him here, and just he wants to please me. But this son of a gun doesn't need me when I'm not involved. He is hunting his butt off on his own and working. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
these are all these things. And I say, what you're looking for your dog, give it a name. What is it? And try to with the people you're working breed also give a name. That's what I see in the in the detection dog where I'm at the same year. You got to go, oh, watch this dog this. And what the heck is that? Oh, you're saying this. Try to get on the same page and have the same terms. So when y'all are talking about breeding dogs and everything, y'all y'all know what, what it is you're looking for. What I'm looking for. Yeah, it's not like, well, I didn't know that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm not an academic. I'm not going to sit here and science this up. But the only way to make real progress is to be objective. You have to sit back and go, this is not my opinion. Like, if a dog is hunt, say I give him a one to five scale, and I'm going to score him on hunt when I'm evaluating. I evaluate three, five, ten, and then post-16 days of training that to, after ten months, I formally put them into some motor work and then reassess them. I say for hunt, I have a one is dog. This dog won't, won't hunt. You know, um, if I'm uh, moving move around, he never investigates anything. A two is like sporadically, very rare. He'll engage in investigating something in his environment. Mm-hmm. Three, he engages for periods of time, stops. Four, he engages for prolonged periods of time, but without any finding anything, he may diminish or stop periodically. Five, this son of a gun is investigating his environment, and not only is he investigating constantly, he is doing it in an efficient, calculated manner. It's natural. And I, I sit and I score those things out. And it is not my opinion. And it's not my reference to the last litter. It is my reference to what do I consider the ultimate level, uh, the best and the worst of hunt. Mm-hmm. So, and I, go yeah. No, go ahead. And, and the same thing for environmental soundness is I look at reaction recovery. Mm-hmm. Do they react? Do they recover? Yep. So if I do, say, acoustic startle, visual startle. So say you're going to fire a 12-gauge off around your shepherd, and you, you're buying it. It's like, hey, let's see how he handles this. You know, you fire it off, and you go, a one would be he pancaked or he hit the end of the leash, and he's three counties away by the time you catch up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's never going to that area again or getting in your car again because it was just that bad. No recovery. A two would be, wow, that was a bad reaction with some encouragement and a lot of work. He recovered in that moment. A three would be reaction and slap. Hey, boy, that's that's okay. He stood back up. Oh, we're good. You said it was good. A four would be he heard it. He reacted. Instantly re- took it upon himself to recover on his own. A five, you go, he's dead. What happened here? He didn't even hear that. Yeah. Didn't care. So, and I score all these dogs on that. Every time I evaluate them, everybody's like, oh, it takes some time. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take any more time than it does if you're doing this. You know, yourself. Like, you're doing this. It's just you don't. Most people don't have you're a way. You're just not writing it down. Writing it down, and you can't. You can't remember. You yeah. can't. I you say, oh, like this dog, this dog. And then you go back and look, and like, oh, yeah, that's not right. And another thing is, people picking the dog at the very end. And that's where I learned that you can't remember. This dog's amazing. I love this dog. And then you look through his history, and you're like, that is not. That was this dog struggled his whole life. I just remember at the very end. I had an instant with a dog. His dog's name was. Mr. Linderman was named after somebody. Mm-hmm. And I selected a dog out of litter named Merle. And Merle was phenomenal, flashy, showy. And um, during the eval where I was selling him as a vaporweight dog, or another group in Fort McClellan was evaluating him, this chocolate lab, and Dr. Wagner, with me, Paul Wagner, he's the um, director of the program, um, was with me. This dog just keeps excelling at all these crazy startles, like stuff that 99.9% of dogs just couldn't handle. I don't care what breed. Um, if they were not working and developed for this, they just couldn't handle it. And on top of surviving this gauntlet of things, he walks out the door and there's someone with a 12 gauge that shoots over him. And he's just like, Hey, I heard that. What are you doing? Let's go work. And 
after all of this, he's Dr. Wagner's looking at me and going, "What the heck? What? 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 We, which dog we breed? We breed him? No, no, no. Well, so I go back and look, and and um, I pr- print out all the evals and his progression chart of his his um, evaluations over time, and I told I didn't put their names on them. And I have a chart of how his it was on a daily basis in training and and everything, and then his eval scores. And I said, think about consistency and progression over time. When you look at these and pick the best dog, I just told people walked in the office that knew something about training dogs experience, and they all picked the same dog. Well, Merle, who I'd picked at the end, it was the best dog you ever seen Ferrari, but was no emphasis on his whole life and how he got there, and not looking back washed he went to a professional baseball game was working and pyrotechnics went off and he never worked again mr lindy's still in the field i think i don't know how old he is i think he's eight nine ten years old at this point um he's still working and i picked the wrong dog so that was my point my change point of looking at these evaluations no genetic breeding dogs not look at what the end goal is look at how it got there yeah no i yeah i think it's and we and we talk about this is, you know, we call this the podcast, the journey, because it's a process. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yes. you don't, you know, you can't, you have to look at the whole picture and not just one, mm-hmm. one slide. Um, so mm-hmm. that's very good. But I, I want to go back um, when you were talking about, you know, the traits that you're looking for. So, you know, and everybody in the hound world is a little different. I mean, the guys out West, it's cat hunting are looking for a little bit different stuff than what the guys out East are bear hunting. And I, you know, I want a dog that, well, explain to me within that. Well, how does how does that differ? Is is the cat dogs are they more are they like the English pointers that um, the ones that you know have flushing dogs that come up with them? You know, they catch up with them five miles later, they're still on point. They're just wide range and opened up dogs versus English pointers that hunt woodcock and retrieve to the animal. You know, are they more closer working dogs? What are the traits? I'm I'm intrigued. This is what yeah. I do. Yeah, I'm no. What what traits differentiate those hounds? The differences. So. And I and I'm I'm not a cat hunter. I don't have a line hound. Mm-hmm. I've been out to mm-hmm. the, and dry ground hunted in New Mexico a couple times. So mm-hmm. you cat guys don't don't shoot the messenger. I'm just um, ablating. <laughs> so I do this all the time. Yeah. I'm not speaking for you, but yeah. So I mean, uh, from from what I see and the guys that I talk to and that I know, um, they have to have a dog. It it, it depends if you're hunting north or, or or south too. If they're dry ground mm-hmm. hunting. They got to have mm-hmm. a dog that'll that'll settle down on a track and tr- and 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 trail a track up that may take I mean days. Um, because that that dry ground is harder for the odor to last. They're gonna have to pay more attention. You're saying from the dry ground, so the dog needs to be a slower, more methodical. Yes, I, that's what okay. I would say. Yes. Um, okay. They can't um, they can't be fast and make overrun and make mistakes because it's harder to keep up with the track given yes. the temperature and how it affects odor. Okay. Yep. And then it makes perfect sense. For me, like for me, and my if I'm putting my if I'm if I'm painting a if I'm writing a list on the things that I want in a dog, mm-hmm. um, I, I want a dog that can that can trail, which means I don't want the dog standing on his head. I want him to be able to move the odor as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I one thing that I've picked up from my canine training that I've learned a lot, and you mentioned it. Um, Cameron mentioned it is a dog that does not exert energy when he don't need to. You know, yeah. I want a dog that when you flip Efficient. the light switch, okay, let's go to work. Um, yeah. I want that dog that's in a calm mind. Um, mm-hmm. So I want a dog that can trail, and I want a dog that can move that track accordingly. If it's an older track and it takes him some time, then work it out. But when that track gets mm-hmm. to moving, I need you to 
to start moving with it. I don't need you standing on your head. Um, so you're saying from what I would say is a dog that follows football dead track, too hard for him to catch up. You want a dog to throw a nose up and trail and take the cues from drifts of odor and doesn't have to be dead on the track, but he can get from point A to point B. Yes, and once he gets he can, there. He can deduce and dead wrecking and make a lot of decisions to get there fast. Correct. I want him, yes. once he gets there, he's got to have good mm-hmm. running speed. I want him mm-hmm. to catch the game, which means mm-hmm. I prefer my dogs to run with their head in the air. Just what you gotcha. just said. Air, yep. air sent trailing dog. Gotcha. Yep. And after it gets Basically jumped. Dog. Yep. yep. Just after it gets jumped. And then I want them to have enough grit. Now, they don't have to be no kamikaze. I don't like my dogs getting tore up. I don't like them getting cut up and beat up. But they need to stay with a bear. That means if they need to stay and bark at it for for five hours until I get there, then I need you to stay and bark at it. Don't don't come back. Don't quit. Stay with it. Don't be don't be 40 feet up the tree either when I get there. That's, oh, yeah, no. so, I hate yeah. a tree climber. So, <laughs> I've not experienced it. I can imagine that. I love that you're, you're talking about this because one thing I haven't noticed you do, and it's great, is you haven't said drive one time because what you're doing is partially you, what, what's your drive? What's this person's drive for this dog? What do they want in them? And you're, you're saying it, and that's what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm liking is like you've not once said drive. Yeah. I hate it because. There's two way straight is motivation arousal. Well, what type of mixture that you need for what your target is? Right. You know, you could say for this dog, he needs to have more, but you don't want that dog that's over greedy to the point that he's endangering himself if you're not there fast enough because he has no self preservation and he's got he's got too much prey drive. He's not even yes. thinking about himself and gets there. And that's nothing but, but yes. vet bills. That's yeah. a that's a thousand fifteen hundred dollars every time he gets caught. I mean, that's what yep. it is. Um, and yep. I, I, I want him to stay treat. If they treat the game, mm-hmm. I want him to stay with it. Um, mm-hmm. and they have to have a good temperament. That's very mm-hmm. important when you're hunting with a pack of, pack of hounds is okay. I need, I don't need a dog that is growly, is ornery. Um, and, and the th- here's the, here's the, like the, the two edged sword to cut big game. It takes a little bit of tenacity to get that game to climb. So I'm oh, asking yeah. my dog that, hey, I need you to put enough pressure on this this animal to make him climb or keep him there until I get there. But in the same sense, I don't want you fighting with the other dogs. Exactly. So that, that's, that, that's impressive to me. So this is interesting. So, And on top of that, I hear you guys want them to sound a certain way, too. Th- these are, you know, when I say, oh, what we do is a whole lot of different phenotypes that we have to capture. We have to get them all dialed in right to get these perfect dogs you're in a different venue, but that's a lot right there. You're it asking is. a dog to have that much prey drive and that, that intensity mm-hmm. to continue on with that and want to be there and, and, and be legitimate enough to that animal. Think I might need to go up the tree. Wait a minute. I'm a 500 pound bear. What am I running three sound dogs for? Yep. You know, you're asking that, out, but not get frustrated and maul the dog next to it because we're getting competition. Mm-hmm. That's, in, that's impressive. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other things. There's little things that we can add to that. You know, mm-hmm. the arousal over the, the, the lack of scent. Um, I mm-hmm. like a dog that gives good mouth. Um, you talk, You just said that. You said you like them to sound certain. I don't care if my dog's ball mouth, chop mouth. I could care less at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. But I really... Is consistent? <laughs> yes, consistent. Uh-huh. I want a dog that when he gets scent in his nose, that he's aroused enough to let me know, hey, Dad, I got it right here. And then Dad can, mm-hmm. you know, do. I can either turn him off the truck if we're rigging, which is kind of what your vapor wake is, and we can explain yeah. that to everybody. Or if I'm down free casting, which means I'm just walking through the woods and we're walking through an oak patch, and 
You know, they mm-hmm. go over there and they start smelling, you know, I, I want them to open to tell me the story of what's going on. Yeah, you, you can you could read it just like I read a dog working. I've trained dogs for pythons and everything. But in the dog, I can tell you that dog is smelling one way out and across a python across the glades and I can't get to him. Move on. That dog's telling me that this one had laid here, but it's no longer here. Or, hey, this was just here. and We might be about to get on a track, you know, or mm-hmm. we're about to find something. Just start reading his behavior. You're doing that by communication. What when he's on something like, oh, he might have some. No, oh, that's getting that's getting more. Yeah, he's on it. You know, like mm-hmm. you're reading that, but he has to be clear and consistent in what he's communicating with you to do that. And that, that yeah, I mean, we're all speaking the same language, just different different way here. So, so Bart, help us. How do I? How do I? Okay, let me give you. I'll give you an example, and maybe you can roll mm-hmm. off this. So, I just had a litter of puppies. They're mm-hmm. um, they're five months old. Mm-hmm. I'll give you some background on them, and then I'll get your opinion. So, I breed. We di- we did exactly what you just talked about. We did a complementary breeding. Mm-hmm. There is no there is no kin in the backgrounds. Um, the male dog that I have is one eighth of a a running dog, one eighth running mm-hmm. dog. So I got my speed. Um, mm-hmm. He's got really good grit. He has tight mouth on the track. So mark mm-hmm. that down as my little thing. He's tight mouth on the track. Um, does that mean that he's quiet? Yes. Quieter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. He does not. Okay. He. I would prefer him to be more open. Um, okay. He's got good grit, good speed, and stick. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to catch him off of it, or he's going to stay with it till you get there. So some of the things yeah. that, that I just talked about, he, he, he checks those boxes. Yeah. And we all know that no dog's perfect. That's why you know you're doing this complimentary. Well, if you get it perfect, that yeah. will never happen. When right. we do, I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, so but we bred a female who is a little bit bigger than I would like. Um, as a female, she's 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 a bigger female, but she gets down. She's good open mouth, and she trails good. She moves the track really well. Mm. Good tree dog, very good natured. Her flaw is that when she jumps, which means they trail the bear till it's up and actually moving now. So they've got mm-hmm. it up and they're moving it. She mm-hmm. does not pick her head up to run. She bobs that head. So it slows her down in her speed. Does that make so sense? She'll tell, you, she'll tell you exactly where it walked, but she ain't going to catch up to it. Well, she will. It just takes right, her longer as, to do it. Not not as efficient as it could be. Right. So She's, having, she's putting a lot more effort into it than it needs to be. Correct. So we bred those two dogs, and I have a litter of puppies. I got six puppies. Um, they are five and a half months old as of tomorrow, Saturday, or no, they'll, they'll be five and a half months old here in a couple of days. Um, we have done the environmental stuff. I've done a lot of stuff what I do with my police dogs, and these these dogs show a lot of the stuff that we want to see at a very early age. And I'm going to ask you about that with your pups too. Um, We see a lot of stuff. So I got six pups and this is the second litter that's out of him. The other litter is out of him. a year and a half old. And at the same age of the last litter to the same age as this litter, there is Mm -hmm. consistency, complete two outcrosses. So, Build yeah, so me up, build it. me a breeding program. What do I do so, to make my stuff got, better? 
so what I hear, you're seeing a male that has completely outcrossed, and you have another litter out of him, and you're seeing those quality traits, right? Correct. So so you have two litters out of this male, complementary breeding, different different dam, and at the at the and this is different dam, right? It's not two different breedings of the same. No, correct. Dam. And I will let me yeah. let me talk about the first dam yeah. real quick. Yeah. She has a lot of his traits. Um okay. she's open mouth, which we wanted. Um mm-hmm. she's probably a little too gritty. Um she's mm-hmm. she'll get she gets some holes in her more than we would like. Um mm-hmm. And we see the pups. The pups out of that litter are a little bit more tenacious. Um, she trails mm-hmm. good, has good speed, and stay power. So there's a lot of stuff in there. The only mm-hmm. two differences in that first breeding was she gives good mouth on the ground, mm-hmm. off the truck, where he does not. Okay. Everything up kind yeah. of matches up. So go. So you, yeah, and you 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 complimentary where where your one dog was weak and didn't do what you wanted. You tried to offset it with the male in both instances. With your second female, you know, she was head down on the ground and not arresting as much as he was head up and offset that. And he was quiet where she was loud. Um, so, I, I, yes, I think you're on the right track. And I think, you know, as we talked about deeming a dog from a litter's quality and you starting this and breeding in two different females and they're completely different outcrosses, okay, you may get some variability, but there's also instances that I've seen with males, especially the females, the hard part, the hardest part of the game is females in my world, mm-hmm. um, is to find a good female is, is hard. Um, and, uh, the males I can go find around and get semen, but the females, if somebody's got one, they're not gonna let you breed it, bring it to your house and breed it. You know, that's not typically how it works. And, uh, you know, so I would say you, you're sounding like you've got a male that's demonstrating that he will, he will throw his genetics and he, he will, he will be expressed in their behavior. Um, and the outcross is not that significant, you know, and, and, and maybe that's just somewhat the hound world. You know, I don't know it that well enough, but I've had dogs. I got a dog right now. I go get, I always tell people I can put him on a house cat and I get some vaporweight dogs out of litter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just, he's that strong in what he throws. And um, so what I would say is from starting your pro- breeding program, is that you got one male, you got two females, right? Uh, well, yeah, well neither, have... I own neither female. These are guys that hunt with me. And, and well, I just well, want gonna... to you're going to get litters out of So you've got these litters yep. out of them. Got two. So yep. now you've got one stud and you've got litters on the ground, right? Correct. So I'd say my first priority is to get fem- to keep female. That would be the way I'd look at it. Now I need a, the best female out of here. And what am I looking for in her? I'm looking for maternal care. I don't know what that is out of female. I imagine hunting dogs that have that much tenacity mm-hmm. and prey drive. You got to be careful how they're over puppies, mm-hmm. like you would be with Malinois and Shepherds. Um, but I would also say that you know now you need to be going and find where's you know your outcross, but you know the pedigrees of them. Okay, now which one are you leaning to now that you got your mixture and you got your outcrosses? You may see some variability now, but you've selected the ones that really got what you want, say a, a female and a male. Or maybe you didn't want the males out of this and you really like how it worked out and the females, you got your male here. Now I'm going to keep these two females. I need to go find the males of different blood or, or more related bloodlines of which one we either the spider or the dam they're crossed with that yields you more of what you want and say, I've got what I want in this female. Now let's cross it back or two females and let's cross it back with that and see if we can't 
solidify those traits and to get more consistency through the litter if you're seeing some inconsistency, which you should. If they're complete out crosses, you should see some that are like, that one's carbon copy of the mother, that's a carbon copy of the dad. But really what I was trying to do was get a mixture where the one where the, the deficiencies of are all covered, where she contributed, they hit all the marks and made progress to mm-hmm. improve and, and, and enhance the, the traits that I want in those areas. So it's a good mixture of them. I would take that good mixture and try to bre- determine which relation I'm going to breed it back with and not do another complete outcross because you got what you want, hopefully. Now cross it back with, with something that's going to solidify that through a larger number of dogs. I'm not saying breed it back so much later to you're going to get seven out of eight or consistent. It may take two generations, three generations. And then you're having to offset inbreeding. So you're having to constantly outcross in genetic diversity, but be calculated and know how to how to solidify and increase consistency. So if I'm got enough and I'm selling dogs to people, I don't like, he's got good hound dogs, but be careful which ones you pick. You need to really look at them. I would be like, hey, you know, it's damn dimes, a bit of difference between the best one and the worst one is what I'd want to be. And I would be telling them, oh, this is this tier level dog. This is this tier level dog. What are you looking for? And pick either one of them. You want a male, want a female? You know, unless you're running competitions, there's not probably, you're not going to tell the difference in them. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I'm completely with you, but I want to recap what you just said. Mm-hmm. So I've got two litters on the ground out of two different females, mm-hmm. same sire. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a half-brother to that sire. Mm-hmm. Some different traits. So a lot of mm-hmm. the same traits, um, some different traits. Uh, one thing I forgot to add with my the male dog that I think is mm-hmm. important for the listeners is Spook was a very weak tree dog at a young age. He, he's three now. But at a year mm-hmm. old, if the leaves were on, he didn't hardly tree. He'd run to the tree, and that's it. And And after the first season and the leaves come off and he realized everything was going up above his head. Um, Mm. And that was both something that I added when we made the first cross too, is she was a really good tree dog. All right. So is that, is that something typical like the leaves they built so they can actually see, Oh, it's up there above me, this thing moving. And they put the picture together. Is that what you're Well, no, he's a weak, he was a weak tree dog at a young age. He is not Mm. now like completely different dog at three than he, Mm -hmm. like you said, that process, Develop. yes, yeah. that development, but mm-hmm. that was worrisome um, when we done this, and I wanted to make sure that that the female was a good tree dog, and she was, and mm-hmm. and the yeah. pups are phenomenal. So I got I've got two litters, I've got mm-hmm. a half brother to the sire. Do I breed a female out of each litter to? Do I crossbreed the litters, or would you go with breeding to the half brother? So, I mean, if you stay within the realms of the uh, inbreeding coefficients, not, you know, it's not actually inbreeding, it's line breeding, then, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that you've got traits of him and that one, you've got traits in the sire and, and his half-brother, and you're, you're leaning towards that, and you've got, you've got the hard tree or out of her, and, and you think she's carrying that it's genetically, it's not a developmental thing that you just experienced and what hard work got there. I would say crossing back with that half-brother, and, I mean, what's the worst-case scenario? Yeah, I mean they. Well, I mean, I don't think they would wash. I mean, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't think they they would. But that that would be the worst thing that happens. Yeah, and I, I would think is you know you've got those genetics and now you're going into relation and you're getting up there in, in consistency and it, it would worst case scenario you get a little more variability than you wanted to 
and you didn't get that, you know, locking it in and making it consistent in that, that cross. Um, but I don't think it's going to go downhill. I mean, the big question is in the half brother um, to him, you know, was the sire that much different to to that half brother than, than the, you know, the, the sire you're using? And, and look at that and just know who he is and how different is he in bloodlines. But I would think that, yes, that would be the exact thing I would do. And it, it's not a dead thing that this is going to work because you can have some dogs and you can be tactical as you can in this. Mm-hmm. And there's some dogs that just, I don't know what it is. They do not throw. But I will tell you, you're hedging your bets with this type of philosophy. Um, so without us having to be able to take a sample of a dog and pop it in a machine and say, yes, he has genetics, which doesn't really exist yet, um, this is the only way I know that make progress, and this is what people's been doing, whether they knew it or not. It's just you, like you said, this whole outcrossing thing is that you do outcrossing increase variability to the chances you get exactly what you want, and then you don't continue to do that because you just have variability every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, w- I mean, if if I hope I'm saying this, we're understand it is it, it makes sense to people is. Yes, I would crawl. I, I don't think I would, I would cross the back of that unless you know one that is related to your sire. Maybe it's not, and it's a better dog and gives you that same relation to try to attempt to solidify and get consistency once you capture what you want. That'd be the only reason. But I don't see what it would hurt. Yeah, um, and just just so you know, the 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 half brother they're out of the same dad's different mothers. Different mothers. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Different mothers is what okay. they're out of. And like I said, there's. Um, the weakness of the of the brother, right? And he's not even two years old yet. Okay, so he's nowhere near a finished dog. He's got excellent speed. He's a really hard tree dog, which was not what Spook was. Um, my deficiency with him right now is staying with a mean bear. If it's a walking bear, he stays. But if that bear goes to chasing dogs and running them off, he's he's left too. I mean, he's left two of them and that's that's a concern i mean it doesn't happen a lot i mean we we get a handful a year um but at the same time yeah. i want him to stay i don't want yeah, him, i don't yeah. want to cross all you cross the line he's too smart oh, yeah yeah i mean but uh yeah and that's where you need to you, you like i said be structured in your development of your dogs and you know and what you do and try to say, I do this, I know you can't do everything exactly the same, but you have an idea of your process and be able to identify what's going on and say, you know, is, is that dog weak or is this dog strong the way you want for based on the experience he's had and they were perfect and did everything right? And is this dog you say that's bugging out on a bear that decides to chase him, is it because of genetics or is it because – Early on, he had a bad experience, probably too long that he was mature enough to deal with, yep. and it was extreme, you know, bad scenario. It can mm-hmm. happen. Like, I can have the best litter and then have, like, man, when this dog was working odor, the air brakes went off, and it and it hurt it, and then all of a sudden someone tripped and fell on it, or, you know, just a series of things, and that became a very traumatic experience during a critical window development. Mm-hmm. And you have to document and say, well, yeah, that one's that way, but we're kicking this side because this is outside the normal realm. This is a bad thing. Is that what caused that? So being able, and sometimes you can never know, but if it's a one-off, that'll tell you it probably is. So if he's he's just that way and nothing around him is that you know, and just being able to track, and trying to get underneath and see what's genetic, what is development and experience, so you can know when you make a decision what 
if it's genetic or not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just like, you know, and it, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like with, do you, so you have, do you have litter mates around him or people have them? Um, I have, I have some connections with some guys that have, yes, I, mm-hmm. I, I have connection with some, not with, not with, the, not with the brother, but the, the sire. And I also have a female that that is a half sister to those two dogs and is that is you see that in them or weaker or is it just him it's him it's not them mm-hmm. it's just him okay. well it's i mean like i said this none of this is 100 percent that's in your bets you know we're playing by some rules it will you know mm-hmm. you know two step forward one step back sometimes it's still progress and that's that's what i'm i'm saying is like i would look at it and give it your there's always some risk especially how small you you would be in your breeding program um, that, you know, you've got to make the best guess. It's not going to be perfect, but it's calculated. And you're going, he's a one-off. I don't see this anywhere else. Mm. You know, this is possibly an experience issue that happened in development. But then you could go, the risk of it not being because he's really bad about it, you got to weigh those things out. And that's where your experience in your world, you know, I probably can't allude to on that mm-hmm. and make a decision. Yeah, and I, I, I had then kind of wrote, you know, like you said, I mean, wrote down that this year, this is something I'm going to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, is Does he get better with it, or does it continue to be the same? Um, so that's something I'm going to monitor with him. So, and and just uh, just let me ask you, in your world, I mean, we can go on forever about this, but in your, in your world, what I've noticed is some of these dogs are completely fearless and extreme reward, you know, performance is just off the charts and they you know we say bomb proof never seen this dog flinch or anything um do you you think about dogs maybe you've had like that like never once had a problem he's perfect never issued fear of anything you know all this when it comes to you know his his hunting um in my world we typically we're starting to see that i don't trust that those dogs are bound to implode i like the dog <laughs> that sees things yes and reacts and experiences them and learns from it, and it's a good experience. Those dogs that never see anything, never flinch, never expose it, they are a ticking time bomb. We call them kamikazes. There you go. Yep. Yep. And you're right. I, and, Bart, I didn't realize some of this stuff until I really got heavy into the police training that mm-hmm. I'm okay with a dog that watches and learns and eases into it. I don't have to or, have that dog. Have that, a re- yeah, it has a reaction. You go, yeah, that makes sense, yes. you know, but you're okay. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. The recovery is important, which you talked about. I mean, that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. huge. But, um, yeah, I mean, so, I, yeah, I, mean, I think two things, too, that I, I kind of want to hit on real quick is, mm-hmm. all right, so one thing we did with this, both litters, we have all the pups. And when I say we, our group, um, out of the first litter, there was nine pups, and we have – we have them. We have them all within arm's reach, so we know what they're all doing. There's no question. Mm-hmm. We see. We know the exposure. Like you said, if the dog's not given the training and the opportunity, how do you even know what you have? And the mm-hmm. second litter, the same thing is. We mm-hmm. I have my hands on all all six of them. Um, they're right here with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I've kept three. I ended up with three of the of the six. And mm-hmm. that way we can monitor this stuff and we can see what's going to mm-hmm. go on. We, we're going to be able to log and like you do, you know, jot this data down as these pups grow. Mm-hmm. And we'll know when we have a litter and that 
pup out of that litter shows something, we'll say, oh, yeah, that dog right there has that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's as simple as saying, like, what is your traits that you're looking for? It's not have to be any scientific thing. Like, this is what I say is the unicorn of a hunting dog, right, or your, your hound dog. And then say, where, every time, where do they land and track it and say, hey, am I making progress? But, like, I hear that you're, you've met, you're making progress and you're showing this genetic. And now you're wanting to see if you can get consistency with it and then figure out how, where else do you want to make a push in progress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've, mo- you've moved yeah. forward. And you want to stabilize and then figure out where you want to push. And you may already know where you want to push. And that helps out even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I but, know. I mean, for me and everybody's, everybody wants something. And it depends on what part of the country you're hunting in, too. I mean, you know, dogs. What's the number uh, one reason that you get your hounds, in just generally in the hound world, they that a dog, what we call wash? What is the number one factor of concern? <laughs> um, I won't say what I think out loud, but. Um, oh come on! That's what we do as dog trainers. We we you you say things that people don't like. like well, I, I think you know, I think I think some I'll talk about males and shepherds have artificial hunt given their background, and that mm-hmm. upsets some people. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, we we've got so many so many little tasks that we're asking the dog to perform, and being able to put mm-hmm. six of those tasks together is like you said, it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that, and before canine come into my world, I would say that the dogs are just genetically not not strong. Mm-hmm. I feel like now half of it is our fault. It's the training. Yeah, side not no, exactly. Not knowing how to work with it. Like looking <clears throat> back, you're like, why did I do all that that yeah, way? Like, this yeah, was, so many mistakes. Dog, I mean, those must have been some good dogs back in the day because they just somehow figured out how the heck, I, what the heck, I wanted to do and what I didn't do with me. The yeah. sink or swim. <laughs> yeah, and that's how it was. And so yeah. I think half of it is our our training or the problems that we create, um, and then the other half of it is the our breeding. Our you know. I think some of your comp guys are really trying to breed better dogs because they're wanting a competition dog. But when you get into the big game hound part of it, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think the breeding program is, all right, you're my buddy. I've got a good male in my book, and you've got mm-hmm. a f- good female in, in your book, and we go breed them. And just what you said, I'm seeing it more and more is that that your female was one out of ten that ended up doing something? My male mm-hmm. was one out of three, or one out of t- or three out of ten that actually done something. So genetically, mm-hmm. we're asking the dogs to do something that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, the random of that roll of the dice and everything lining up, and it's the odds of that are not good. You, you know, the, you didn't set yourself up odds in favor for getting what you want genetically to work with you yeah just because that dog's good and i got a good dog and now we're gonna put them together that's what i cannot stand to see it doesn't matter if it's a pet or whatever it's just people breeding dogs and yeah you know in the competition world we have it and labs and everything it, it serves that purpose um of giving you consistent people tracking pedigrees medical what they're doing but also the competition world is not really realistic in a lot of ways to um what I'm looking for, it, it helps mm-hmm. me. It tells me what I can get. But I mean, if you go see a field trial or a hunt test, I mean, I'm sitting here going, I know I've been done that before. They're way overcomplicating all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. why does he got to go get that one first? I don't understand. You know, yep. you would do none of this realistic hunting. 
and you wouldn't do it, your your coon dogs if you're actually hunting them. You know, the, most competition dogs, hunt test dogs, they, they can't even hunt them because it would mess them up for their competition. Wow. So, yes. So it helps heads of vets, but it's getting further and further disconnected and mm-hmm. fancy competition and then so far removed. And I don't know if it's that way in your world, but it may be. I mean, I don't really how you'd complicate a, you know, a tree and something, how you'd you know, well, face that and mess it up. That they would like duck dog, but yeah. I think, and you know, I'm kind of going out on a limb here, that a lot of our comp guys, they want their dogs to get off solo, get get deep, get lonely, and get treed. And dogs mm-hmm. are pack animals. We know this. Mm-hmm. They operate in a pack. And if you you know if you do any research on the coyotes or the wolves, you know you see how they hunt. You see how they operate. Um, mm-hmm. And they're training the dogs to not honor other dogs, which is genetically not in the dog. So they're 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 forcing a training habit. So it's to so, so make them stand out so you can pick them out, what they're doing. Well, it's so, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't want my dog backing yours because if I back yours, I could have been out training a coon and getting more points. Um, oh, I got so you. They Why want am I going to honor you? Like yes. Like a bird dog honor point. I'm going to leave that. He found that. I need to go find another one. Right. Um, that way, because that's how the way the game's played. I got you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's each mm. to their own. I mean, that's, but that's not pleasurable for me. I mean, I, I like to go hunting and, and do my thing, but. It's not um, practical. It's yes. good for what you're, you're doing, but yeah, that may not be a trait that's realistic to yeah. if you're actually on the ground hunting these dogs and doing it for recreation and want to go do that. It's, you know, I need to be able to run in with a pack. I yeah. don't care, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, That's interesting. Yeah. So, Bart, I, I know we've used a lot of your time, up, but I just want to go back and, and, again, I want to recap a few things just so our listeners understand. And, we, and again, we didn't go over half we didn't even go over well, a, a smidgen of what we I could know. talk about. It's, it's it's one of these things. It's like I'm trying to tell my world and what we do and not, you know, my my verbiage, my lingo for what we do and try to mesh both worlds. Mm-hmm. It, it's very hard. And like you said, is we could do this for two or three days yep. um, about this. And I hope generally we've scratched the surface and I hope that, you know, what I've said made sense. And um, like – you know, we've discussed this. This is the only way that I've seen that we've we've made real progress until someone can say we'll take genetics from a dog, pop it in, and go. This dog has the genetic traits for this. This is all we can do, and this is all that's been done. But we can be better at it right. if we understand. Yeah, and I and I want our, our you know mm-hmm. our guys listening to the Houndsman XP and listening to the journey. You know, we want to create a better hounds better handlers, better trainers. And, you know, being able to talk to you is, is one way that I know to do this. So if, if we outcross, I'm just going to recap. If we outcross, we're looking for a, we're looking for a veritable that will strengthen our dog. That's what we should be looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you're, and if you're bottlenecking, you need some genetic diversity. So you don't run in the realm of inbreeding. Mm -hmm. Um, So while you're increasing genetic diversity, grab something you want right and you should and you should write that down you should say what is it that i want i want mm-hmm. for me for us for houndsman i want track tree speed grit what what am i looking for and write it down mm-hmm. okay. you should know that recipe in your dog and don't mm-hmm. think about good and bad all the time just think about the traits that are present in those dogs and at what level and they're 
you know, too much salt is too salty, but right, balance salt and pepper is just right. So, yes, all these things are good things, but complementary one another. And at what level do they make that perfect mm-hmm. call? You know, I don't want this over aroused, though, but I need enough, man, that he'll keep going until he keeps going. You know, he'll right. never stop. Mm-hmm. But I want too much. So yeah. don't think of good or bad, just presence and absence of them and what makes the best one and know what that is. All right. And for line breeding, mm-hmm. for line breeding would be, um, I know, uh, and I, 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 I have line bred for 20 some years and I'm, I still have that line, which is very weak mm-hmm. now. But for line breeding, um, am I looking for the same thing in outcross? Am I looking for those those traits to, to, to complement each other or am I looking for, and I guess it depends yeah. on what I'm looking for. Am I looking for more of a track dog? Am I looking for more mm-hmm. of, of a speed? And I add those two dogs or what am I looking for in the line? Yeah. So well, that's, and that's what I'm saying is you can, you, even in your line breeding, you, you can make for progress. You can push the gas pedal on some traits and, you know, and enhance those within that. It's usually typically when I'm looking for something that's like, we're really weak here and I'm not getting that or I won't get it quickly. I will not, it'll take me four generations to push that to where I want to be incrementally. Um, but these other dogs over here got that trait through the roof or two or three that I'm looking for. Let's throw them in there and we'll get variability, but there'll be one or two of those dogs that have, we push that envelope. Now I cross back. And get consistency, hopefully, or within two generations. Now, in two generations, instead of four, I've captured the traits I wanted, and I have made, I have created consistency that those are distributed throughout a lit. Yep. And what mm-hmm. instance would I inbreed? And for you, what, where, where would it put you to say that nah, I would do this? I'm so still. So I, you know, I am not a say breeder i'm the one that collects data and goes this is what i'm seeing this is what makes sense and then mm-hmm. talking some people do this but in breeding i'm not going to say at any point that i would um that i would do that that i know a situation i have i have heard of certain working dogs mm-hmm. that have large breeding programs that when things went awry and they didn't want to lose whole lives that they um they brought in dogs that were um had a breeding uh, inbreeding coefficient of 35 percent um, and what that did was what that dog is, is what you're going to be with the genetics we put in that dog. There are very little genetic diversity creating those behaviors. So when you breed that dog, the chances of this dog that has impairing a that high inbreeding coefficient of it can cancel out. So if you made a mistake and your bloodline and like yeah. you thought you made prior, you kept a, a list and now you're betting like, Oh, I've messed up second generation. It just went off the tracks, right? I've, I've lost the older ones. I've got to fix this. That's where you would take, they use that as a tool to go, no, I can fix problems with this because this has everything we want, super high inbreeding, and you use that to fix the problems. I know that's done in certain realms of working dogs or large breeding programs, mm-hmm. um, but that's the only time I've ever heard of it being pushed that high. Right. I think 0.16 um, is about as high as we go um, in the inbreeding coefficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and what would that be that, like can you put that in oh gosh that, um, gosh that would be no I couldn't I would hate to I, this is where I draw the line I, that is, I'm not like I said I'm not an accident, uh-huh. academic I'm a dog trainer I don't study this to that realm mm-hmm. but I don't know how distance of relation that is is it you know niece nephew or, or you know right. 
or further, but it also takes into account that, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's niece, nephew, or one out from that that would be point one six. But I believe niece, ne- you know, that that level um, or grand, you know, right. so you had a grand pup. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where that falls in that one six uh, or point one six inbreeding coefficient. But I know that's our line, and that's someone else's job that has said that that's the inbreeding coefficient line that we don't cross. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so and there's there's easy ways on the internet to look that up. Yeah, I that's what I was going to say. We'll time. put that yeah. in the show notes to yeah. to look it up. But yeah. yeah. Um all right, Bart. So give us three things to enhance our breeding program. If you were going to give us three tips, what what are three things that you would tell us to help us um mm-hmm. have a breeding program that was successful? Well, first of all, I define what your dog is that you want for you. Say you hunt with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, everybody's different. But what is that that recipe? If you if, if your dog is this perfect meal that you're looking for, this recipe a chef making, what are the ingredients? You you say from my experience, this is what makes those dogs. All the dogs I've seen, this is what I'm really looking for. Like this good dog over here, hated this. He, I want all that together in one. What is that? And then, um, be able to objectively identify it evaluate dogs say do that truly what it is and when you see a dog has what it is don't stop at him don't get excited and go that's what i'm looking for what's his what's his litter mates what's his brothers and sisters look like does he have pups do they have it or is it just everything around him junk and he's good and uh, then you got to go as hard as it is as much as you like you need to be calculating go nope um everything suggests that that is not real that's not going to show up in genetics mm-hmm. very low chance um, so define it, be object what you're looking for, be objective and evaluating and do your work and see, is this genetic as best of your ability, the dog you find to look for in breeding, male or female. Um, and then think about how they're playing together, complimentary and just be structured. And I think through time of doing that, um, and you know, you're going to get consistency, you're going to see progress and you know, there may be mistakes, but those mistakes will tell you, what's being thrown and what's not when they are, because they're going to mess up. I mean, we've made big mistakes. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've had, I've bred things and only had two litters sell. Like the Dutch Drotter across the lab, the F1 generation, best dogs I've ever seen. Second generation, ooh, this is bad. Third generation, all environmentally unsound. Yeah. So I could not sell any. So it so skipped a generation. You're going to make, yeah. Yeah. It, it was that hybrid vigor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cross was great, but you lost it. You lost it. Heterosis. You you lost it after that. So you know you're going to make those mistakes, but that's going to tell you that you know how's this being passed, and is this these traits pass more on the female side, or they pass more on the male? You'll see that. I'll see it. I anecdotally say that I see things that are some more passed to the female side than the male side, and some things are more heritable than others. I can tell you that air sending is highly heritable in dogs, and also elevation problems dogs that have elevated fear, fear of heights, fear of heights. Mm-hmm. that is a major major genetic thing which you wouldn't think about so find, and find how these pass so just be structured and know what you're looking for those ingredients and um be objective as much as you can do your homework and make mistakes and learn from them and from them and move on I got and don't it. just willy willy-nilly breed dogs together because we tried that that doesn't work yeah and, you know i think a good dog a good dog doesn't mean anything I think, unfortunately, a lot of us, I've been guilty of that with not having a, you know, this is a good dog, this is a good dog, and breeding them and not really 
researching. And, and again, with my experience in police work now, I look at things mm-hmm. a lot differently. <laughs> I mean, my brothers and sisters, they do not, they want to get dogs and buy pets. They do not call me. They're like, oh no, we are not opening that kind of work. <laughs> yes. My sister is like, I'm getting a burner doodle. I just looked at her and I, my, everybody was like, no, just let her whatever she wants to do. And I was yes. like, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Bart, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, sitting down and going over some of that with us. And guys, I hope that this helps you in your breeding selection, your breeding process, and gives you some information that's going to make us um, better houndsmen. So, Bart? Yes, and one thing that we can help with these resources you're going to put in stuff, I can put the selection paper of how we evaluate selected dogs to make progress and where we are and, and and dogs going in the field and how we did that now it's not your world but you could take that paper and see how we did this yeah i mean if you want to send it to me i'll be glad to add it in the show notes Mm -hmm. and anything to help um like Mm -hmm. i said we're always trying to learn and at the Mm -hmm. end of the podcast we always end it with a saying and bart i want to thank you for helping us find a way (laughs) no problem thanks for having me on here appreciate it